Hey everyone, it's Amber Love of Vodka Clock Podcast from AmberUnmasked.com. Don't forget, we are labeled as an explicit website and podcast. Hopefully you are listening, either streaming, where you can get all the show notes right through AmberUnmasked.com, or, you know, maybe you've checked out iTunes and Stitcher, and uh, don't forget you can leave ratings and feedback and stuff there. So... This is a first time for me to welcome Adam Nave to Vodka Clock, and it will be fantastic. So, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. So, um, we've been having a good old grand time on Twitter, which is wonderful. It, yes. brings, it brings everybody closer together. It, it's a magical little teeny world. Yeah. So, one of the uh, the fun things about following you, and and it was it was weird because I had heard of your comic before I, like, really paid attention to any of the names on the book. Mm-hmm. So, and I, I'm assuming that happens often to people. Um, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I do it, too. I think, you know, it's one of those, you, you like a book, you like the book. You don't necessarily hone in on anything else. Yeah, so, you know, I'm trying to get better at, at that. And um, so I'm talking about Amelia Cole. And, um, and then when I, you know, of course, clicked on your name and searched for your name and stuff, I noticed that your Amazon credentials are, like, quite filled up there. It's nicely filled out. <laughs> yeah, uh, Amelia Cole is not the first thing I've done. Yeah, no, definitely not. There's um, there's a long, sordid history. Ooh, deep, dark, mysterious past. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. No, I, I used to do um, prose mostly. You know, that was, that was where I lived, was in the land of prose. And then I was like, you know what? This comic thing might just work. It's pretty fun, you know. It's it's a totally different beast. Yeah, I, I you know I grew up reading comics like so many people do. Um, and it's one of those things of like you're always like, oh, I'd love to write comics, but I can't draw. Yeah. So well, it's one of those little moments where you sit there and go, hmm, can I sell stick figure comics? Maybe not. Maybe not. And and then it's you know you have to meet artists and get out. So it's. There is, mentally at least, I find, like, a large kind of mountain to climb to get there. Yeah, well, that's why I find that I'm now going more into prose, returning to prose, if you will, mainly mm-hmm. mainly because of the challenges of affording a team. Yeah, I got really lucky. My first thing in comics, actually, was um, working as the, well, I, I co-wrote a story with DJ Kirkbride, who's an old friend. Uh, and at the time, he was the assistant editor over at Popgun. Right. Which was is... an anthology from Image. Right. And they moved him up to co-editor, and he suggested me as the replacement, the new assistant editor. Uh, and now I had been, you know, I talked to EJ all the time, and so I knew exactly how much work this was, and kind of, you know, not a nightmare in a bad way, because I never want to sound like, you know, oh, what was me? I had this hard thing. No, whatever. It was great. But there was still a lot of work involved. And so knowing this, I was like, but why would you ever think that I would say yes to that? Also, yes. Uh, <laughs> Your friends are trying to punish you. Yeah, pretty much. But, um, yeah, the editing, editing Popgun, you know, let me really meet a whole lot of people in comics. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's a very um, renowned, award-winning anthology. So um, it's it just comes up, you know all the time, like every time around, like the Harvey Harvey season. Yeah, we had, you know, like four years. I think we were nominated every year. Yeah. Um, we won twice. That's awesome. You know, the what, volume three won an Eisner instead. You know, this is not a problem in life. Yeah. Most uh, people don't get to say that, so... Right. I'm like, you know, when, when your first outing in comics basically, you know, sort of wins you an Eisner and then a Harvey, like, back-to-back... It's you have that horrible thing of like now I have to live up to this, don't I? Yeah, kind of. The nice thing was I, you know, we won them for editing, not for writing. So that's that's pretty fantastic. So now you're the person that we all hate, right? Um, and uh, nothing new there. <laughs> so you were doing Pop Gun before you started to take a stab at your own create our own series. Well, me and TJ um, had some shorts in Pop Gun, which, just just to be clear, anything we had in Pop Gun, you know, if you wrote for Pop Gun, um, 
the other editors would, of course, decide if it was in. Okay. There was no nepotism going on there. Actually, um, I have my first, I think still my only solo comic short work, at least, in Popcorn Volume 4, and the first time I read it, it got rejected. Okay. That's fair. That's mm. nice. Yeah, I, I did, I admit, when I first got that mail that they were like, nah, we don't really think this is right, I was just like, really? Because, I mean, I know where you guys live. What, we, we want to go down this road? And I was like, no, that's, that's not cool, you know. Let me fix it. But, yeah, no, so we started right around the time we were also editing Pop Gun. But certainly, you know, working on Pop Gun and just getting to meet people at conventions and kind of having proven ourselves that, you know, we were people who knew what comics were, as silly as that sounds. You know, we knew what we were doing. Kind of gave artists a little bit more confidence in going, sure, we'll work on this pitch with you. Yeah, well, especially, I think, once you've gotten, um, like you said, once you've gotten awards under your belt, if you approach an artist with a completely different ballgame, then, then, hey, I have this creator-owned thing that I self-published that nobody's ever heard of. Will you work with me? Right. I mean, you know, I write this webcomic that no one on Earth reads uh, that I often end up having to defend as an actual comic, which is a weird place to be. But... What people don't seem to ever realize is it, it, it's it's called Things Wrong With Me. And it is essentially, there are, there are six characters. Each character, there are four little emotions they can display. And there are little heads and then some text. So it kind of reads like an annotated script. Yeah, I did take a look at it. I wasn't sure if you were trying to go for, like, the text messaging, you know, you know fake memes. Yeah, no, I was, I've been doing this for almost five years, and I had the format for something else like three or four years before that. And it was always just one of these, it's a, it's a way to do comics that don't require me to know how to draw. But because the emotions they display do change how the line reads, I consider it comics. Because, you, you know, you have art and words working together in sequence. But that, that sounds me, like a definition. Right? But what kills me about it is that Matteo Scalera, who me and DJ had worked with um, on a short that's in Popgun, was, you know, kind enough to draw all the heads for me. Yeah, that's very cool. And I'm just like, I have the guy who's, like, drawing Hulk monthly, who drew these, like, little bullshit heads for me on a whim one day. It's like, what, what is my life? Where have <laughs> I gone wrong or right or whatever the hell we want to call it today? Well, that's, so that's cool. So, I mean, you, because of... The, because of Pop Gun, like you said, you got to meet all of these artists and everything. And when it came to Amelia Cole, um, I wanted to make sure we don't forget the massive right. creative team behind the project. Um, yeah, there's a lot of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I know a few of the names, you know, um, some of them from Twitter. Rachel Deering, I know from her Anathema project and uh, Womanthology, so I was not surprised to see her name in there. But So DJ Kirkbride, uh, you know, from Twitter, uh, and uh, Nick Brokenshire, is that how you say it? Brokenshire. Brokenshire. And um, you've got a few other people. Yeah, well, what happened there was, um, you know, very simply, a friend of DJ's, uh, Tim Simmons, who writes a webcomic called Spy 16, mentioned to DJ that he knew this artist and, you know, he couldn't, he had nothing to work with him for. He had no project. But this guy was great and maybe we should reach out to him if we have anything in mind. And sent us a link to, you know, Nick's page. And we looked at us, we're like, we need to make comics with this man. And we'd never heard of him before. We just saw his art and we're like, yes, please. And we got in touch with him and, you know, we, we all clicked very well and came up with the concept for Amelia Cole. And somewhere along the way of finishing up the first issue, um, Nick had been lettering it. And Nick is not a letterer by trade. He's an amazing artist, not a letterer. And so we decided maybe we should bring on a letterer to, you know, decrease his workload a little, make the lettering look a little better. Um, and I knew Rachel actually through a book she was editing at the time. And I knew she also did some lettering. So we brought her on board. And then partway through the first arc, we brought on Reese Moreno to do flatting and color assists for Nick. Um, originally just as, again, as, as a way to reduce his workload, because we all have day jobs. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, that that's very helpful to have to have the ability to, um, you know, break that up. Yeah. So, you know, we, we brought Reese on board, and he's just been growing and kicking all sorts of butt along with the rest of us. 
but it, it's a fairly large team now. It's yeah, absolutely. You've got Dylan Todd, and then you've got various pinup artists well, as well. And... Well, Dylan, um, if you look at the Monkey Brain books, when they first launched, there is a the the front credits page, and then there's a back bio page. Okay. Um, those pages were designed by Dylan. And he designed them pretty much for, like, a standard monkey brain thing, and you can choose to not use them or change them however you want. He just kind of, you know, invoked this template that you could use. Um, and we stuck with it because we really liked his work, and, and actually I happened to love Dylan's design work. But that's really, you know, there's no ongoing Dylan credit. He never actually talked to us about it. It's just he created those templates that we use. Oh, he cool. designed those two, the, the bookend, you know, the credits and the bio. It's really helpful, though, I mean, yep. for for somebody to be able to do that, because I, it's one of the things where whenever I try to do something that's a, any graphic layout, I need to basically look at other examples and then try to recreate stuff so that it doesn't, you know, and yet hope it doesn't suck, because I, I have no training and necessary skills for these things and it's like okay well I just know that I want my bio I want it to kind of be here and um, fortunately or unfortunately most (laughs) comic artists at least have some sort of design um, training because a lot of them have to do that for day jobs right so um, it's it's cool when you can at least get examples or say hey can you help me out or this is how far I got you know how can I improve this yeah, I mean, we were lucky enough with uh, Chris and Allison, who run Monkey Brain, that they thought very much ahead, um, and they used Dylan to design the logo for the company, uh, you know, based off the, the monkey with its brain showing that was used for the old Monkey Brain Books logo when when they had that company as a concern. Um, and as it evolved to Monkey Brain Comics, you know, they had to figure out that, so they, they called Dylan. And he's done a bunch of, you know, graphic design work for them. Uh, I, I since hired him to do my logo on my own site. You know, Dylan has just a great sense about him for design work. So, I mean, you, you look at the credits of the bios page, it's like, oh, well, that's just simple. You know, it's just, it's just very, you know, simple and intuitive. It's like, yeah, that ain't easy to come up with. Yeah, it's really not. And, and it's the same thing that why I think lettering gets overlooked because people think it's simple. And I've been mm-hmm. having a hugely difficult time since switching to uh, reading on on the Kindle, because literally half of the stuff that I try to read, even not even just the Kindle, I'll try to read just you know PDFs on the screen. I the lettering is bad. It's like it's not saved as whatever proper whatever it's supposed to be. And when I go to zoom in, because a balloon is too tiny, and I just want to read it easier, it gets all blurry. Yeah, it's that's just a resolution issue and. It's something that, you know, you have to, as you move into digital, you have to become very aware of. Yeah, and I hope more um, people do. Yeah, I mean, look, in general, I want to punch anyone who just misses letterers in comics. And there are a lot of them. Right, yeah. And it's just, you know, lettering is so crucial. And the problem is, when it's done right, you don't notice it. And that's exactly it. And that's the way it should be. Sort of like, you know, when you've had surgery and you don't see the scars. Right. Yeah, I mean, it it, it does nothing but enhance the story. You know, it creates a moment of clarity. It gels the art and the words. It, you know, notes feeling. It can do all of these wonderful things for you when it's done right. When it's done wrong, it's there are some words over this art. Yeah, or you have balloon tails crossing. But yeah, just uh. balloon tails crossing <laughs> is is a is a big thing. Um, I, some people think it's okay as long as they show that one balloon is obviously behind another balloon, but I, that annoys me. There are reasons sometimes you have to do it. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you actually, it's really funny. One of the one of the standard things that you run into besides the serif eyes, which don't get me into that. Um, yeah, I understand completely. It's like a nightmare of mine. Every time I have to, like, proof any lettering, I'm just... Because you know, all the letters I work with, like, Rachel, I work with uh, Frank Centrific on, on Artful Daggers. Um, you know, they're both great letterers. But every now and then, you know, humans make mistakes. And so it's like, you're, there's always this fear that, like, you're going to miss one or they're going to miss one and it's going to see print. And it's like, they're all better than this. We're better than this. And it's such a simple mistake to make that it's just like a gut punch every time. But no, there are, the big issue is, of course, anytime you have a panel, you need the person on the left to speak first. 
Yes. So you need to hope that the script is <laughs> allowing. Right. That, you know. Well, and it's a problem because you know you'll have a shot and you need a reverse angle on the shot or like a you know a, a forty degree angle off the shot, and the logical conversation the way it breaks breaks that rule. And so now it's like you know you go back in on your lettering pass before you you know hand over a script to a letterer and it's do you change it? You know, often we'll just add like a small line to kind of cover it up. Okay. You know, move things around just to try to avoid it. But every now and then, you know, when when the moon rises in the east and clucks like a turtle, um, you end up with a situation where you actually do have to cross tails. You know, we're kind of overlay balloons, and everyone hates it, and it's only done in, like, dire emergency, but it happens. Like, did everyone I've ever seen in a book I've worked with, like, we've had to justify it to ourselves right. and hope that no one screams too loud. Sure. Um, yeah, because my other thing is I also like when the first person speaking, when their balloon is actually higher, like, that's just what my eyes do. And sometimes right. it's lower on the panel, and then you're supposed to, like, sweep upward to get the next balloon. That I always read incorrectly. I always read it incorrectly because I want to go to the topmost thing, and yet, however they've laid it out, the topmost thing is actually the second balloon or whatever. Right, and and again, it comes down to just the art itself and the letterer working in concert with the artist. Um, and, you know, maybe they're talking about it, maybe they're not. You know, if, if you have a good enough letterer, they don't necessarily need to stop and go, hey, I was thinking this. But there are moments where, you, again, you can pull it off. You know, you can always find those exceptions where the art is naturally pulling your eye down so you place that balloon there, and then, you know, there's something that sweeps it up. There, you can always find exceptions. Um, but, yes, in general, it's a horrible mistake. So let's talk about Amelia Cole and, and where she came from. Where did she start? Well, she came from a little town outside of Pittsburgh. <laughs> and, um, no, Amelia Cole, I said it was just, you know, me and DJ wanted to work with Nick. And we were trying to figure out, you know, what do we want to do? What, what story did we have in our head? Um, and one of the first things we figured out was that we wanted a female protagonist because there simply aren't enough of those. Okay, I was just going to say, and why? Okay. Um, but if we were going to do a female protagonist, you know, one of our rules was she had to wear actual clothing and be human-shaped. Yeah, I, I approved of that immediately. You know, there, there's no point in doing it if you're going to blow that. You know, it's like, unless you're writing Barbie comics, there is no excuse. Sure. And we, once we had that, we were like, well, you know, we all, you know, magic can be fun. And, you know, let's go off on this, and let's tell kind of a, a large coming-of-age story kind of writ in that mythological sense. You know, l like a lot of good superhero type of action fiction, it blows everything up in scale. You know, if we were just writing, like, the story of this, this woman who was just, you know, perfectly normal and a normal, you know, lived in Kansas, um, it would kind of be the same story, just it would, you know, obviously not involve monsters. So... Yeah, yeah, we we're telling kind of a coming of age story, um, and along with that, we're all fans of Superman, Doctor Who, all of that sort of thing, and we wanted to be very hope based. You know, she's the type of person who does good because she can. Right, and she takes a, you know a little bit of a you know hero's journey there, where she has this you know older aunt. And, um, you know, so she's learning from this person, and then she's separated and off on her own, and she's scared but has to be brave. One of our one of our touchstones, actually, when we were figuring out, like, the early stages of the story, was a very coming-of-age, you know, thing, which is when you're in high school, you're a different person at school with your friends than you are at home with your parents. Oh, very true. When you go off to college and you're on your own, you have to figure out, who you actually are. And usually it's somewhere in between those two. You know, not always, but there's there's a mixing. You know, you can see all the elements and figure out what works best for you going forward, and it's never a simple or clean process. And like I said, if you know, if you you look at it blown up, you know, you have Amelia who has these two worlds she's in, and one she goes off and, you know, fights all these things in, in magic world and all this, and gets into trouble for it and goes off and hides in this other world. You know, and her aunt is there to protect her. And the story starts when she's separated from everything. You know, this is her going off to college moment. 
Right. It, and it was it, because of the magic. There were so many uh, sort of like things that beautifully reminded me of stuff that I really love. You know, like you had your own fandoms that you were thinking of. Mm. And um, like I was thinking of Sabrina and Dresden Files. Both very, very good things. So, um, you know, and like Sabrina in particular, because they did uh, they did take her through the college years and stuff. So, right. Uh, and uh, even, you know, even Harry Potter, obviously, with the, the magical elements, you know, ends up places and buildings are destroyed and you have to have consequences. Yeah, it, it's one of the things we always want to show is that Amelia means to do nothing but good. Yeah. This is This is what she tries to do. She is not always great at it. And right, and that was a big thing with Sabrina, was that I, I, she was always screwing up. Right, and there are consequences to that. I mean, and again, it, as, as a kind of coming-of-age story, as a, you know, this is what it looks like to truly enter adulthood, you know, that's when we make our most glorious mistakes. And how we deal with them is what defines us going forward. Right, and hopefully, you know, they're everything is forgivable, you know, like at this point where we leave off in the story arc um, of the first volume, Amelia has accepted this job position and, you know, it sort of has this ominous overtone where it's like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> right. Well, it's, you know, she's accepting this job, but she realizes like she has a great idea for why she's saying yes. You know, she, she thinks like this is, this is going to be why I'm doing this. And you know, is it a case of, well, that sounds great on paper, but, you know, in reality, life isn't quite that simple. Sure. And, you know, and it's one, it's one of those things where it's, we, we have that in reality when it comes to accepting jobs. Like, yeah. um, How I Met Your Mother was a good example. Marshall ends up, he's, a, he's a, an environmental lawyer and he goes to work for like this big giant multinational bank that's like the evil, evil corporation. And, you know, he's like, I'm selling out, but I have student loans and I can't afford this and I'm getting married and I need a house. And, and it's like, sometimes you sell out. You have yeah. your reason. Well, okay, I, I'm going to give you a, a slightly long-winded, hopefully not so long-winded that you hate me. Okay. But true story that I don't think I've ever actually told in public before. Okay. Um, back a bunch of years, you know, I was still married at the time. I got offered a job making something like five times what I was making before. Like, we're talking serious money. That sounds good. The idea was... There was this guy who we knew, um, and I'm going to date myself internet-wise, he ran a few mud servers. If, if this just gets blank stares from anyone listening, uh, you know, back, <laughs> at, back in my day, we were out in the porch in a rocking chair, you know, muds were basically uh, multiplayer role-playing games without graphics. They were just text-based. Oh, the text things. Okay, like, I didn't know what the name only of them had was. had just text. Oh, yeah. I didn't know what the name was. All right, awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah I knew what they were. Multi-user dungeon. Yeah, it, yeah, you yeah. Know, multi-user dungeon. So they're months. And he ran some months. And this guy was incredibly rich. You know, owned this huge house. I had to go out there once for this whole thing. You know, had like, this is before, you know, like Hummer started selling like the, the H3s and all this crap. Owned like a military grade like Humvee. Just for fun. Yeah. Insanely rich guy. And what he wanted was he was going to, in the next couple of years, start a few car dealerships. And, you know, I I do um, technology stuff by day. And he wanted me to basically, you know, be their CTO for, like, a few different car dealerships. This is why he was going to pay me all this money. But for at least a year or two until he got that spun up, my job was going to be sitting at a local airport that he owned, working the night shift, refilling planes. Okay, why would that be your job? Because he wanted to basically hire me and lock me down so that I could realistically work on the mud with him. Okay. So he needed some kind of actual job to give me in order to justify paying me at all. And he was like, see, this way, you know, you only have to really do anything like refill a plane or write something down the logbook, like, every few days, you know, every couple hours, once or twice an hour. And the rest of the time, you can just sit there and write. And so, isn't this the perfect job? 
And I was like, you know, this really does feel like I'm selling my soul for things that I'm not quite sure what they mean. Right. You know, just, there's no part of this that sounds like a good idea. Like, this is how horror movies start. <laughs> so, yeah, so your gut was talking to you. And, and it was just like, you know, the money is really awesome. But do I want to end up in a bathtub missing my kidneys? Mm. So I turned him down, which a lot of my friends at the time didn't believe. Because, you know, why would you turn down that much money? I'm like, because I like breathing. You know, and it, it's things like that that, to, to, see, to wrap this around, it's things like that that kind of inform some of Amelia Cole for us. Right. You know, that do you make this big, weird, life-altering choice that you feel might completely backfire or not? Yeah, well, she has she has very big, very huge choices. Like, do I close this portal? Do I, do I destroy, you, you know, this thing so that I can never, you know, take that path again? And then... Um, and some things seem easy, and it sort of balances that out, because she's, there's, like, no middle ground for this woman. No, she's not good at that. It's, it's either, <laughs> hey, this worked, and it's kind of easy, versus utter destruction. Like, oh, my God, if I, this is the most important decision that I have to make, and then two pages later, oh, my God, this is the most important decision I'm going to have to make. <laughs> Well, and again, when you're playing with, you know, like the, the larger fantasy and kind of superhero tropes, that's, you know, yep. that, that's where you elevate all your problems to. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can go back and look at, like, the, the old Claremont X-Men where everything, you know, it's like, should I have another beer? I don't know. Is this going to be the last beer in the universe? You know, everything. Everything. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, because um, this is sort of like a storytelling thing that I'm I'm asking a lot of people just online, and um, and I feel that I am particularly bad at but uh, people always say there's a really loud trafficy noise going on. Sorry, um, uh, other writers always say that they they take things from life. You know, it's supposed to be right what you know. They take things from life, and I'm like, really, your life has dragons? And they're like, oh, it's a metaphor. And I'm like, I don't understand. Explain. So now, I'm, so I'm reading Amelia Cole, and there are these, you know. Uh, persuasion demons and large things and some people can fly and some people have magic and other people don't and um, uh, so it's interesting so I was just wondering when it comes to the fantasy elements um, what what was metaphor for you and what was just like hey it's just fun I'm going to throw a demon here um I, I honestly demon, like your ex-wife. Oh my god, because I knew there was a demon lawyer. <laughs> like demon lawyer. Uh, no, the, the persuasion demon itself that shows up like in the first page was one of those moments where, when we were first talking about the book, you know, we're like, well, we want to open on something, you know, actiony, because it's always more fun um, for readers as well as us. You know, you just get right into it. And me and TJ were talking, and I think I'm the one who said I was just like persuasion demon and he was like what does that mean I'm like I don't know <laughs> uh, this is the creative process at work um, as far as like you know what is drawn from life I again remember that me and DJ write this together so there are bits of it that could be from his lips that I don't even know about you know and there are certain little bits and little moments and conversations that you know I pulled forward from other things that he might not know about it's not something that we concern ourselves with um, a lot of it is just, we really do focus on staying true to the characters over, you know, I really want to deal with this thing that happened to me when I was 12. It's more if the characters go down a path that, you know, we can look at and say, you know what, like this kind of reminds me personally of this one time, that will just kind of inform some of the emotional weight we'll give to it, but it's not a purposeful thing. Okay. That's, uh... At least with this book. At least, right, because like you said, this is a this is a bigger collaboration, so it's less personal. Right. I mean, you know, like with the novels, with the prose, and that's why I still do write prose, um, you know, comics are going to always be a collaboration for me. I can't draw. So at that point, why not get other writers involved as well and play? Because, you know, a lot of my friends are writers. And they're some of the most creative people I know, and they have great ideas. Yeah, I liked co-writing. I had a really great time co-writing. But I can't co-write prose. Yeah, well, that's... Can't do it. Yeah. It's done. People do it. Oh, but, yeah. 
Yeah. No, no, people I've, who aren't me do it all the time. Yeah, I've never, I haven't done it with pros yet. Um, so, you know, it, it's, in my pros, there's a lot of me hidden. Um, I usually refer to it as lenses. You know, everything I write prose-wise, with maybe one recent exception that I'm working on right now, always starts with me needing to essentially figure out or talk about, in some sense, something that happened to me. And then I use a number of lenses, you know, just to cover it up, because the reader doesn't need to know that. The reader shouldn't care. They shouldn't be bothered with it. They're in it for a good story. So you just keep putting layers on it until you can't see that original kernel, but it's always in the back of my head when I'm structuring. But, again, the comics, because it's collaborative, they just can't work that way. Right. And they and the artists. This this was something uh, that I wanted to ask you about because of the collaboration and the artists and everything. Um, I noticed that you had a few sort of like Easter egg characters, little cameos in there here and there. Um, I spotted Shaggy. I can't remember who the first one was that I spotted, but it was something that stood out. Um, uh, I was wondering if that was just something like that Nick did because he was just feeling particularly mm-hmm. spunky. You gotta remember, Nick. Nick is British, and. This is something that is done all the time in British comics. Way more than it's done here. Oh, okay. That, happens, that explains some but, things I've seen in Warren Ellis books. Right. You know, you go look back at like stuff like Beano, and you'll see this is happening all the time. Um, so whenever you get a creator who's steeped in that legacy of comics, you end up with way more of it. You know, we, I think there's one reference that I asked for specifically, ever, um, and that's just like me personally, like I ever asked for. And past that, they have all been Nick. Every single one. I don't think DJ's ever requested one, or if he did, I don't remember it. Uh, but yeah, no, they're, they're all just Nick playing around. Okay, very cool. You know, throwing a page, and he'll mail us the page, and he'll be like, you know, we'll be like, oh, that's a great page. He's like, yeah, did you notice who I included in this panel? We're like, no. And he's like, do people pay attention? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So there are some that we haven't seen. Like, I'll, I'll get readers who are like, oh, that was so awesome when I saw this. Like, you know, um, Wimpy is in a crowd scene. That was it. That was a, I think that was the first one I noticed. Yeah, and I didn't notice Wimpy at first. And he was like, you know, look at this crowd scene, like all these characters. And we're like, okay, done. And we're like, oh, yeah, no, we see you put this here. And he's like, you missed Wimpy? And we're like, wait, what? Yes. <laughs> you put that there? Um, I know that Han Solo shows up at one point. Speed Racer. With the Speed Racer, I did see Speed Racer and Han Solo. I was wondering what the Han Solo thing was, because I'm like, huh. <laughs> it's but it's like... more than just the characters. If you look, especially in the first few issues, all of the store names... I didn't look at the store names specifically, because I wondered if they were if they meant anything. Yeah, they were, again, they were, they were 99% Nick. Um, I think, again, like one of them was us somewhere in there. That wasn't even a reference, it was just we just named the store. But in general, all the background stuff was all Nick. There's a page where I believe every single store is some name or nickname of Mobius. Um, just because, you know, there's like Tetsuo's telekinetic pills. Yeah, I saw one. those. You know, yeah, it's just Nick having fun. Okay. Um, now, I saw, we're recording this, by the way, like in July, uh, near the end of July, and I noticed that... Um, you have a sort of like a, a Twitter push about comicsology and that it's available there. So is that where, um, like, the only place people can get it right now? Well, Monkey Brain Comics, specifically as a publisher, is a digital publisher. So all of the single issues of Amelia Cole are only available through comicsology. Okay. To that end, however, come mid-August, I believe... Um, IDW is going to release a print trade of the first arc of the book, the first six issues. Okay, that's exciting. So that way you have something to take. Yeah, you finally, you know, you can take it to conventions and sign in. Yeah, it, it's the genius of the Monkey Brain model, frankly. They don't take any rights except for the digital rights. That's all they want. That's sweet. That's all they have interest in. So then we can go out and sell print rights to anyone we want. I like that idea. And IDW has been doing um, really cool stuff that way. I've noticed that other people's trades have been going that route as well, plus some of the franchise yeah. stuff. And um, they're yeah, they're putting out all sorts of amazing stuff lately. Um, Thumbprint and uh, the new Crow miniseries. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, no, IDW does a lot of great books. Um, and as far as, like I said, the digital thing, you know, I understand people who are like, I don't want to read digital comics. I get it, but I don't. Like, all the people who are telling me this are on their computer anyway. So, mm, barrier to entry is gone. Yeah. You know, as far as the price point, like, I do understand, you know, Marvel and DC do charge, like, three, four bucks a pop. They charge the same as print. And that's what a lot of people are bitching about. And I, and I have that even, and it's not just, it's just not just Marvel and DC comic books. Um, I, you know, when I'm shopping for, for Kindle stuff and, you know, I'm looking for a new mystery and it costs more, I don't get that. Well, and that's, I actually do because I study publishing. Um, and, and I will not bore you with the explanation, God knows. <laughs> but there is actually weirdly like a logic to why that happens. It's just a silly broken logic. Okay. But, no, Monkey Brain Books, the nice thing is that they tend to be, you know, about 12 pages of story for 99 cents. The first six issues of Familia Cole are 22 to 28 pages of story for $1.99. So it's essentially, you know, two of the 99 cent issues at once. And, you know, that's as low as we can physically make it. And at that point, I feel like it's, you know, we're not trying to essentially get rich off of this. We're not trying to bilk anyone out of their money. We're saying, you know, look, you give us a dollar or two dollars, we will give you at least that much story. So I, I think people have become more receptive to that if they know it's out there. You know, it's just, it's a quick hit. It's just like yeah. you, you pay that for, you know, your, whatever app you just like bought. Like an app, yeah, absolutely. You know, the dollar ninety nine again, it's you're getting twenty two to twenty eight pages. And I've, I've seen novels on sale for that. Yeah. And I mean it can be the ninety nine cent thing can be a problem. Because it really does mean that the creator is making as little as humanly possible. It it just does. There isn't a lot of margin. Yeah, so I mean when you're talking about trying to make a profit in order to pay for convention costs and stuff, um it's and you're talking about sharing <laughs> sharing ninety nine cents or dollar ninety nine with an entire team. That's pretty hard. You know, it's not gonna. You know, you need your day job. That's <laughs> well, yeah. <And laughs> Unless you're nice selling is, like a hundred thousand copies. Well, the nice thing about digital sales that, like, you know, and again, you know, Chris and Allison, uh, Chris Robertson and Allison Baker, who who are Monkey Brain Comics, um, have given us a lot of thought. and We're very careful how they approach this, and the rest of us have kind of been learning as we go. And they have, too. But, you know, I always feel like we're, we're a few steps behind them, and that's why this is working. <clears throat> With a normal comic, comic comes out on a Wednesday, you have your, your sales, and the next month another issue comes out. And you don't really sell much more of that first issue. Because it's, it's off the shelf. You know, when issue four comes out... What's the, the retention... Right, and also, how much of issue one, two, and three are you actually selling? Because they're not there. They get harder and harder to find the further you go. With digital, that's not the case anymore. You know, people who are listening to this can go back. There are, well, as of as of this coming Wednesday, we're recording this now, as of this coming Wednesday, the ninth issue, I believe, will be coming out. And people can go and look at it and go back and buy all eight right then. And you see that it happens. Whenever we release a new issue, sales on all of the issues spike for that month. Well, that's that's really interesting because I, I know when it's uh, it's a little bit different when number ones come out. That you know, I've always been told there's a big drop off. Well, there is, and again, in print, and this we actually found out this works differently too. In print, if you have a new number one, you get a huge sales spike, right? And then issue two, you have about a fifty percent drop. Issue three, you have about a twenty-five to fifty percent drop off of issue two. This is known math. Right, absolutely. With digital, because of the way comicsology works right now, if you get a new number one, it means you're changing the title of the book. Which means, see, if you buy, and, and we did change the title of the book, because it used to be titled Amina Cole in the Unknown World. And, you know, if you bought that, you bought, like, you know, issue five, and issue six came out, when you were reading issue five, it will say, continued in, you know, Amina Cole in the Unknown World, Issue 6, and it will have a little button to buy it. And you could set a reminder so the comicsology would notify you when the next issue came out. So this helps your retention. But when the second arc started, we retitled the book of Minnie Cole and the Hidden War. We were going for kind of a, an Indiana Jones pulp fiction feel. Right. 
The problem is, because it was a new number one, it meant that people who finished issue six of Unknown War weren't getting pushed to the new series. And people who started with the new number one couldn't see backwards anymore. Okay. They couldn't see there was this other series over there because they're not linked. Okay. So we actually changed the name of the book to Amelia Cole and, you know, renumbered you know, everything past six. And you can actually see that now they read, like, Amelia Cole 3, uh, Unknown World Part 3. Okay. And, you know, Amelia Cole 9 is coming out, which is Hidden War Part 3. Didn't mean to use two Part 3s there. But uh, <laughs> it happens. But... But we, I've even noticed that, like, at the, the comic shop retailer level mm-hmm. for the actual hard-printed books, that sometimes certain books are very difficult to order, and this is why. Because um, if unless you're using Diamond's checkout system, which apparently I hear is really expensive and stuff, um, like at my store they use a different checkout system, so their ordering system is different and it's not linked. And then when they get the download, the big dump download about the books to upload all these codes, they're not linked. Like I was, I was a database designer for a while and, you know, you learn about things like normalizing your tables and you have to link these unique keys. Right. And um, the way that the retailer database works, it links on text. So if you change the title of a book... Like, if you change uh, The Incredible Hulk to uh, Hulk, it's no longer there. <laughs> you have to, yeah, no, have to restart all of your subscribers and go, hey, guys, you know, I've been telling you for four weeks, if you subscribe to this, you're not automatically on this. Yeah, it, it's a huge problem. But again, because in the physical world, the number ones get kind of this weird shelf bump, um, and people will still be willing to take that risk. But like I said, with digital, we just find that that long tail is so powerful. It's just, it's a weapon for us. Cool. You know, that we pulled everything in line and kind of went, you know what, we don't mean to do a new number one. We don't need to change the title of this. Let's just keep going forward with number nine. So that, again, people who see number nine can go, oh, well, there's here's these other eight issues. Let me buy those. If they feel like it. Yeah, that's really cool. That's um because I, I'm basically... I'm not, I don't really use Comixology yet. Um, I've purchased like two things off of it, so I'm not really that familiar with them in particular. But, um, other things that I've, I've gotten, if I, um, you know, when people send me their review copies and stuff, and a lot of times they're low res, I just get the PDFs and then I have to upload them into the device and hope that it works. Right. Um, or if I'm reading just on my computer. So I don't I don't know these things about the software yet. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know what people go through as consumers because um, just it's, you know, they're Kickstarter rewards. Oh, my gosh. You know, Kickstarter right. rewards aren't going through any kind of app. It's like, you know, here's your PDF. Um, yeah, it, it's been interesting. It's been interesting for the last year or so to learn how this all works and how it's evolving. You know, uh, Comixology now has subscriptions, for instance, which they didn't until a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I know, and that was, and that took a while. I mean, but they obviously knew that that needed to be done. Of course, you know they're 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 doing what they can. Yeah, yeah. Um, but let's. Uh, so, anyways, that's Amelia Cole. You find it at, at Monkey Brain or in Comixology, and hopefully and, from IDW. Yep. Um, so I did throw out um, on Twitter to ask people for questions for Adam, and we got some charming responses. Oh, dear God. Um, but at I, least, have, are we drunk enough for this yet? Um, I'm on my second. Mm. I'm on, by the way, I didn't announce my drink because I haven't named it yet. Fair enough. Um, but I, I had purchased some mint Van Gogh vodka, and it's been very refreshing this disgustingly hot summer. Mm. So, uh, so I was like, oh god, what can I do with mint? And I had invented a sort of like a Shirley Temple that's actually got booze in it last weekend. And I called it the Temple of Doom. Nice. And so I was like, okay, what else can I do with mint vodka? And people were kind of like throwing out ideas at me. And, um, I, I'm just like, okay, well, I don't do jello shots because I don't eat jello. And, uh, you know, basically I was like, okay, maybe some kind of smoothie. And then it dawned on me that what goes good with mint but chocolate. So I have a basically like a shake of uh, banana blended, and blend, the banana is really to thicken it, 
blended with uh, some soy milk and chocolate syrup and the Van Gogh mint vodka. And it's really thick and really strong. And I'm on my second. All right, then. <laughs> yeah, I was just trying to kill off a, a bottle of rum. Yeah, that looked uh, pretty potent over there. Yeah. Uh, it, it's way too much rum and way too little ginger ale. Have I done rum? I think I'm sure I must have done because ginger ale, I, I love ginger ale. I just don't ever drink soda anymore unless there's booze in it. Um, so, uh, but it's one of those things where when I'm really, really sick, mm-hmm. that's what I want. Yeah, well, see, I, I don't drink pretty much any soda at all anymore except for, you know, the occasional can of, like, ginger ale. Because, you know, I like ginger ale. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I bet rum would, oh, this works really well. Yeah. <laughs> But it's it's so funny how sometimes when I go out to a bar, if it's not, like, a very well-stocked bar or if they don't really seem to know what they're doing, I just get the, you know, the Captain and Coke. Sure. I'm like, you can mix that. You can mix that and not screw it up, hopefully. Right. So, um, so that's sort of, like, just a standard fallback on, um, which I had a lot of at the uh, the Goblin <laughs> Market, which was a lot of fun. So, uh, so from the Twitters, apparently, there's you have some sort of issue with Muppets. This is not true. This is not okay. true. What this is is, and, and this was Daryl. I'm assuming, yes. Yes. Okay. Daryl hates Muppets. I didn't realize Daryl hated Muppets. Daryl actually hates anything that can cause joy. Oh, okay. Um, so that's, we're talking hates... about Daryl from the Taylor Network. Yeah, and and you know I've. I've Spent way too much time with Daryl and J.K. back when he was in town, uh, recording the J.K.'s happy hour out there in their bar out in Long Island City and getting way too drunk. Yeah, well, they're good at that. They really are. Um, but no, Daryl hates Muppets. He hates, like, the Adam West Batman. You know, the, the Batman brand from the Bold cartoon, he hates it. Oh, that's Anything that's exactly. just fun, Daryl seems to hate. You know, it's not serious enough for Daryl. So Daryl hates Muppets. Aw, but you know, see, that's just not fair. That's just not fair because fun things can be very important. Like My Little Pony is like you know, my, one of my favorite books. I'm, I'm, you know, and and God bless Katie Cook. That's a great, great book. And Andy Price. I mean, let's not, you know, yeah, forget him. A- absolutely. Um, and the micro series. I mean, those are all different creators on the micro series. Yeah. yeah. But it's so, just like you know, just like Tiny Titans. Right. When I was just like. You know, people are just like, oh, I don't know what to read, and I'm so pissed at Batman and Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, go read Tiny Titans and shut up. Well, yeah, so it just comes out that Daryl is just... Daryl hates Muppets. Right, he has a small black little soul, and he's trying to take it on the rest of us. Yeah. All All right, so um, your delightful contributor, uh, did you pronounce it right? Reese? Reese. Reese Reese. Marino? Yeah. uh, Wants to know... That if he got you a cookie, would you return the gesture and get him a cookie as well? It, it's true, I would. You would. Um, we, me and Reese bonded a long time ago over a shared love of New Girl. Okay. Which I have a, a deep, way too thought out theory on that show. Which again, I will not bore you with. I'm not okay. Sure for that. Um, Good because I don't like it. Okay. Well, you know, and, and that's fair enough. But no, there there is a, a joke about you know, got me cookie, gave you cookie in the show and. It just constantly comes up now. Okay. Uh, one of my one of my friends, uh, Joey Esposito, chimed oh. in on this. He wants to know when you guys are starting your own Cheers fan site. Aw. Not soon enough. Um, Cheers is still possibly the strongest sitcom ever written. Do you were you a um, Kirstie Alley fan or a, D- a Diane fan? Which did you have a preference? Um, it wasn't so much a fan of the characters, so much as the the earlier years of the show were slightly more solid. It did have a wobble as it got older. Yeah, I think that's true of most shows, to be honest. It is. Um, weirdly enough, actually, when I was living in Boston for a few years, my first apartment was, like, two blocks away from the actual Cheers Park. Yeah. And a friend of mine was a valet parker at Cheers. Oh, well, I imagine it must have gotten crazy once uh, once the show came out. Yeah. I mean, this was, you know, after the show, I think it ended. So, or at least, you know, the last year or two. So it was nuts. 
But, no, Cheers is, is an amazing thing, and Joey's absolutely right. We, we have to start that. Um, but I actually remind you I have to mail him about something involving Cheers soon. And I think, I think when this happens, it is a perfect point to then create Cheers Con. Why isn't there Cheers Con? There should be a Cheers If there is a con for The Office... Why isn't there a Cheers convention? There, now you have me, like, look at... Hold on. Because there has to be... Yes, let's let's immediately do this. Go to the Twitters. Because there should be a Cheers con. I mean, there's drinking and pool tables and darts and, you Yeah, know. There's, there's this Cheers beverage conference, which is not at all about the show. I doubt there, it, yeah. Yeah, no, there is no Cheers con. Why has that not... Like, we just have it in Boston. This is easy. That should be done. Joey, call Joey, us. are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so moving on. Speaking of J.K. Woodward, um, our delightful pal who has moved a bajillion miles away. And I know, not, right? Not what, fair. What's that about? It's not fair. We miss you. Um, he would like to know uh, your expectations of the Ginger Army. When can we expect a strike and how many will there be? And he seems really nervous because he says he needs a plan for, for this. And I'm assuming this is because you're a ginger. It's true. Okay. Um, and as such, I could not reveal such plans, if there were any, which I'm not saying that there are. See, I was completely unaware that there was a ginger apocalypse coming. There, don't be ridiculous. Of course not. Okay. I, and why yeah. would we warn you if it was? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Pacific ginger apocalypse. I don't it, know. You know, look, the replicants don't warn you that there's going to be an uprising. Yeah. You know? I, I was unaware. I thank you, J.K. I am now more informed. Um, all right. So now, which superhero has the best cod piece? You told me you had an answer for this. I do. So I cannot wait to hear it. The answer is, and this is this is like a, a scientifically proven answer, because there is a character named Cod Piece. Oh, all right. Well, there we go. Um, in the post Grant Morrison run on Doom Patrol, I believe Rachel Pollock was writing it at the time. She introduces a villain named Codpiece, who, if I remember this right, was so ashamed of his own penis size that he decides to get revenge on all of humanity and builds this, like, scientific Codpiece that can, you know, form weapons, like a big gun and such. That's and, interesting. And starts wrecking havoc. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Codpiece, it exists. It happened at least once. And I, I have to give it to, you know, best Codpiece in comics would have to be the guy named Codpiece. That's really funny. See, and when I when I saw that, my I said my brain goes to this movie that I'm pretty sure, you know, I'm hoping that I'm remembering it correctly because it was so bad I think I've repressed a lot of it. It was called Gothic, and it was supposed to be about when, like, um, Mary Shelley and Lord Byron and et cetera, et cetera, they were all supposed to be in the mansion writing, you know, doing their little writing contest thing. And this was made back in 1986. So we're talking Gabriel Byrne and Julian Sands. And, <laughs> um, and I remember trying to watch this with a, a bunch of guys who were like, and the one guy was like really into it, like into it too much. Like he was like this complete vampire guy. And and I swear to God, at some point, I don't like. I guess through their storytelling, the characters were like coming to life or whatever, what have you, or at least sure. becoming apparent. And I swear, one of these things was like this big hulking guy with this sort of like leather briefs, and instead of just like a cod piece, I think it was a big metal horn-shaped horn, like just attached to his penis. Like on the the leather briefs, and I like was, you do, like you do, and I was just like, like, I th I'm pretty sure that is the point where I just went, "What the hell are we watching? Why are we watching this?" I'm like I thought this was supposed to be a movie about writers. <laughs> yeah, no, little did you know it was actually all about the horned cod piece. Yeah, uh, which I, I believe actually that prop later showed up in the uh, Schumacher Batman films. <laughs> yeah, so when you type "Gothic 1986 codpiece" into Google Images, you get I, Batman. <laughs> you get well. First, you get you get Jared from the Labyrinth. 
Which again, you know, see, now, again, not not a comic thing, but if we're gonna go for like great cod pieces in history, yes. Which sounds like a really fucking bad college course that you're just like blown off a of credit for, you know? <laughs> oh, but it, no, that would it's no, but the tests are hard. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> really? They're hands on. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Dave, David Bowie certainly does. Well, you know, he had to keep the the juggling ball somewhere. He did. And that's all we're going to say about that. Um, so I, I don't, uh. Actually, that. there was, um, there was in my memory now, there is, was it Justice Society of America? Alex Ross was doing covers. And, and as I try to tell this, I will try to look this up to see if I can find an actual issues number. Um, he did a cover with a character called Steel. And oh yes, I see. Yeah, <laughs> like issue seven. If you want to, you know, go Google it yourself, people. <laughs> it was um not subtle. Yeah, he's got quite the erection there. It's well, you know, he's <laughs> called Steel for a reason, apparently. All right. Yeah. And this is, and this just takes me to the cosplay um, point of the conversation, where uh, Dragon Con is approaching and New York Comic Con is approaching and Baltimore. Gentlemen, please invest in a dance belt. <laughs> please do. We all thank you. Well, you know, I mean, I, I kind of do like that it encourages the debate over what religion the Flash really was. <laughs> but should we even be having that? Well, you know, you're working a table to con, it's getting late, you're getting kind of, you know, a little woozy. There were worse games to play. I wonder, you know, that's so funny. I wonder if that's why that happened. Somebody, I can't remember what form it was in or whatever, said they knew what Spider-Man's religion was. Yeah, that's that's why. And that's why I totally didn't know. I, I was, like, looking up Spidey holding headstones, seeing if there was, like, sigils on headstones. <laughs> I did not. No, you, get, you went way too deep for that one. I really didn't even think of that. Not even, not even on my radar. Yeah. No, that, that's that's the issue there. Well, all right, all right. So there we go. Um, and and while we're talking cosplay, you know, I, I I adore cosplayers. Um, actually, little known fact: if you show up to any con, I am I have a table at, and you are cosplaying any character I have ever written, I will give you free things. That is awesome because to encourage cosplay. Um, who was was it? DJ that was doing it today. No, Nick. Oh, it was Nick. Nick apparently got Nick bored. Lost his mind. He really did. <laughs> um, if you go to AmeliaCole.com, you can see pictures. I've, I've collected them. Oh, okay, that's fantastic. Of of Nick Brogenshire, our dear artist, doing like I mean, you were talking with like a blanket he had yeah. and some like Scotch tape. Um, cosplaying as every major character in Amelia Cole. Yeah, you don't need necessarily um, sewing skills for some of these because she does wear real clothes. Right. Um, so if you're looking for the title character, um, but there are other other characters. There are some fun characters like Protector. Yeah, you know, no, look. If anyone ever shows up like in, doing like the full Lemmy, you know, this eight foot trash oh. goal, you don't have to be eight feet tall. But if anyone shows up doing like the full Lemmy, let me tell you, we will be your best friends for life. And I've seen people do the thing. So right. I'm sure it's possible. Yeah, it's it's possible. You, know, you just have to hope. Um, but no, in terms of cosplay, with New York Comic Con, you know, on the horizon now, and San Diego just happening. Last year at New York Comic Con, there was a guy, beautiful costume. Don't get me wrong, gorgeous, giant robot costume. Uh huh. It was too bad he filled an entire aisle. Oh yes. I just you know, if you're doing cosplay, just think about the fact that there are like a hundred thousand other people in the room. Yeah. You know, make sure you, when things are trailing behind you, if you're taking up too much space, just, you know, not saying don't ever do it, because sometimes the costume is worthy. And, you know, you really put your heart into it, and I get that, but just be considerate mm-hmm. of the fact that you are screwing some people's days up if you're not careful. Yeah, I've seen some pretty big props, like the um, video game character props and uh, a lot of the anime Props are really massive. But then the wings. I don't know. I've seen people with workable wings. Mm-hmm. And um, this I find fascinating. I go to steampunk shows, too. So I've seen some pretty incredible stuff. But they're not 
crowded the way that New York Comic Con right. where you can't move and you've lost the person you're with and, you know, you're doing a Marco Polo thing with your cell phones trying to find each other because, you know. Except you have no signal. And, yeah. There's no signal, but suddenly it's like, you know, you've got like two different streams of salmon going up, you know, an aisle in small right. press. And small press, the aisles are not big. Yeah. So. It's an issue. I mean, I don't know. I think my favorite uh, guy with prop who is a lot, a lot of the East Coast Conti shows up. He does the most amazing Mr. T I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. And, and he has this giant that. section of pipe. Yes, I did see him as I was standing at the 215 Inc. booth last year. But, like, he, he puts it but places. It's... Well, he puts it places. And then he picks it up when there's space for him to, like, pose for pictures. Yeah. And then he keeps it out of the way. It's part of why I love him. That's cool. Because he's never, like, I've never seen him get in anyone's way. I'm just like, you know, you, like, you, sir, just win points for that, whoever you are. Cool, he gets, um, he gets an MVP for congeniality or whatever. He really does. But, no, some, some of the cosplayers that, it, you know, whatever, I don't always get it. I'm not someone who is of that mindset myself. But I really do appreciate it when it's done well. Do you dress up for Halloween, or did you ever? I don't, actually. Um, usually I'm working. Oh, okay. I was going to say, why did, did something harmful happen to you on Halloween? Do you hate Halloween? Actually, kind of once it did, but... <laughs> All right. Um, my father, who spent time as a fire eater in a carnival, uh, learned how to do makeup when he was there. And so he would, you know, when I was a kid, he would do like kind of elaborate makeup stuff on me because I was willing to sit still. And one year he was like, oh, I'll make you like a werewolf, and did this whole werewolf face on me. We walked out the door. And one of the other little kids, like, you know, I, I was not a little kid at that point. I was like, you know, 11 or so. But one of the little kids in the building came out and saw me and burst into tears. Because they were Aww. just terrified of it. Aww. And I was just like, this isn't fun now. Like, I'm just making people cry. That's not cool. Even um, Santa does, though. In, re- in reality, Santa gets a lot of tears. Yeah, but when you're like, you know, like a kid... Yeah, and you're making, like, the little hard. kids cry. It's just, like, you feel horrible. Okay. Well, that's good that you had a conscience, because other people would just find it hilarious. Well, I've worked hard to get rid of it since. But, you know, back then, it was still going concern. Uh, and that was actually one of the last times I ever dressed up for Halloween. Although, what, two years ago now? I decided on a, a whim. I found a site that sells three-pound gummy worms. That's a, that's a damn big, that's like a Ghostbusters talking about reference kind of gummy worm. Yeah, that's, you know, that's like a sandworm from Dune going on there. Yeah. And so I, it was right near Halloween, and I was like, you know what I need to do? I need to buy this bitch, and I'm giving away one piece of candy. All right. <laughs> that's a... You know, first person who rings my doorbell wins the goddamn prize. And sure enough, you know, me and my roommate are sitting around, and the doorbell rings, and... We're like, it's kind of early, so we're like, oh, maybe it's something else. And I was like, no, get the worm, just in case. Not a sentence I ever thought I'd say. <laughs> and sure enough, it was like this, you know, little girl and, and her friends. And it was like, she was the only one in front of our door. And we're like, here you go. We only have one of them. Like, you win this prize. And it just fills her candy bag instantly. There's no other room in this thing for anything else in life. And I'm like, you know, but that's it. Like, you have to share because you have friends with you. Right. And she's like, oh, yeah, then let me go get one. They'll want one, too. And we're like, no, no, no. <laughs> let us be clear. There is one. I so I, I then waited, like, a day or two for her parents to come by and, like, knock on her door and be like, why are you giving <laughs> her diabetes? Like, what is your problem? Yeah, like, what were you thinking? Are you some kind of weirdo? We are never coming back to your house. We have made note of this address. <laughs> right, like the cops showing up. Just, luckily that didn't happen. But uh was definitely a possibility. Oh, my goodness. Well, those are some good stories. Adam, it was so great having you on the show. That was a fun time. Good. Good. And um, is there anything else that we need to know? Are you hitting any conventions? Uh, uh, Not officially until Baltimore, although, you know, Baltimore is going to be huge. We're actually getting Nick in for the first awesome. time in the U.S. Awesome. I will um, be there. And DJ is going to be there and Reese. We're just Rachel short of having the full team. Awesome. Okay. And I think we'll actually also have Sean Williams, uh, who co-writes Artful Daggers with me, also a Monkey Brain title. Okay. So it, it's going to be, you know, a big, interesting show. 
And um, where can people find information about you? I am easily stalkable. All right. Um, you can go to adampnave.com. I'm adampnave on Twitter. You'll sense a theme here pretty soon. <laughs> uh, anywhere you go, generally it's just going to be adampnave something, and there you are. So really easy to find. All right. And like we said, uh, there's the, the Monkey Brain website for the individual issues. IDW is going to be coming out with the, the print collection for Volume 1 of Amelia Cole. Um, lots of good stuff coming your way. But um, you, you guys, you know, you had a great team. Uh, I enjoyed the book. I look forward to the next volume. Uh, all right. Well, everybody, this has been a delightful chat. Um, usually, you know, we just, we just never know what we're going to get. This is, you know... <laughs> And I love that there is audience participation. I absolutely adore audience participation. So, um, you know, don't forget, wear your, wear your dance belt. And uh, cheers. <laughs> um, but you can, uh, of course, follow me uh, at Elizabeth Amber on Twitter and AmberOnMath.com. And uh, don't forget to, you know, give me some feedback. But, of course, you know, make sure that it's filled with lots of love and joy. Um, because uh, we work really hard on this. And, um know i get great guys like adam to come on and you know give me parts of their lives he, he could be <laughs> off doing other things so uh so be sure to uh to let me know how much you loved it all right have a great night everybody